Empower Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with lightworkers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time we gather for spiritual conversation and enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. Time and distance are no barrier to energy, and that means no matter when you're listening, no matter how you found us, you are here for a reason. And I hope that something in the next hour lights you up and helps you move forward. Now today we're going to be talking about the concept of the divine lens. And the divine lens, which is a a spiritual, not a religious view, reveals that you are a highly evolved soul who's intended to shine your wisdom on the painful, dark moments of your life. Lifelong intuitive Sue Frederick is here with me, and she believes that we can see our greatest pain as an enlightened soul agreement that's designed to help us move forward with strength and courage. Are you ready to meet her? Sue Frederick is the author of Your Divine Lens, Bridges to Heaven, I See Your Soulmate, and I See Your Dream Job. Sue draws upon dreams, ancient numerology, powerful intuition, and decades of spiritual study to help her clients and students fulfill their soul's mission and use their pain as fuel for a meaningful life. You can find out more about Sue and her work at suefrederick.com. Sue, welcome to Out of the Fog. It's such a pleasure to be back talking to you again, Karen. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm I'm glad you're back. Hello again. Um, (laughs) This new book came about in a a different way, and maybe where we'll start here is what was the inspiration? What is the story behind the birthing of this book? Well, thank you. I love talking about that. I I had been teaching, I had just taught a three-day, very intense uh, grief healing workshop at Kripalu in Massachusetts. And, you know, I use, uh, I use all my meditation techniques and intuition to help people who are grieving in those workshops. But still at the end, even though they're very transformed, I'm usually fairly exhausted. And I had been sort of running nonstop, and by the time I flew home, I was deathly ill with the flu, (laughs) and I found myself in bed for a week with a really high fever, and just sort of that fever that makes it so you can't do anything. You just have to surrender to it, and I knew that I had been run down and that was part of it, but it really started to go beyond logic because I began to have these amazing dreams. And the one that just became life-changing was I was pulled out to look, guides pulled me out to look at the bigger picture of our world, our planet, and I saw that there were strings of lights all around the globe, and more lights were flashing on every second, and those were people waking up to higher consciousness. And, of course, there was also darkness and other things in contrast, but it was very clear from what they were showing me, and, again, this was without words, it was very clear that they were showing me, no, light is always winning, even when it seems as it isn't. You know, don't carry the pain with you, in that life because life is always, light is always winning no matter how things 
seem. And it was just this refreshing, amazing clarity. And they whispered all these other things into my my head, my consciousness. And I remember waking up that morning and trying to explain this dream to my my daughter was home from college. And I was like, Sarah, Sarah, I had this dream and I couldn't even put it into words, but I felt very transformed by it. And as I began to recover and got ready to go back and teach again, what I found myself saying in the next workshop was, I'm asking you for the duration of this workshop to slip on your divine lens and see the world as the play of light, higher consciousness, and darkness as unconsciousness, and how the light is always winning, and divine order always has our back no matter how it looks. And that became kind of the framework of how I continue to teach and work with clients. And then it just poured into this book, the quickest book I've ever written. I feel like I have almost nothing to do with the writing of this book. And there are parts of it that I go back and read myself to get inspired. (laughs) So that's how that book came into being. Wow. I know that a lot of your work is about that, about transforming what we may see as loss or transforming what we may see as a negative and taking those moments that I might think of as a, like a reset moment, taking those moments and transforming them, making them shine, letting the light come through those moments instead of falling back into the loss. And it's interesting to me that, yeah, I know that knowing your personal story a little bit, there's loss in your personal story, but it's interesting that this book came to you at a time when your physical body was laid low Mm -hmm. and there was literally nothing you could do but surrender and receive the information. That's right. You know, it's funny that you say that because I've always known that one of my greatest uh, gifts and my greatest challenge is how strong I am, how strong and determined. And, you know, we all have different parts of our personality that we've signed up for in the lifetime. And for me, it's always been this incredible strength. I mean, I've had so many things happen to me that people who, who know me, when they hear about it, they go, I just can't imagine that that happened to you because you're so happy and strong and you've had this amazing life. And I... And I kind of always look at them like, really, is there another way to <laughs> to do it? But at the same time, I feel like when we're strong and we're determined, we just kind of get on this trajectory of moving forward, getting it done, you know, taking the next task on, being as good as we think we can be, but we don't keep just surrendering and opening up. And I think that the greatest lesson of this book is, that surrender to the grace of divine wisdom, to the grace of our divine lens view, is where we find our healing, it's where we find our wisdom, and the world so needs that right now. And especially when someone is facing grief and loss, you know, they are often just kind of focusing on survival, and they have to, you know, it's how do I get out of bed in the morning, how do I find a way to sell my house. I mean, it becomes very, very intense survival stuff. 
And when I can shift them into, let's look at the soul agreement here, the divine order piece of this, what your departed is saying to you right now, now they're lifted out of that incredible drudgery of life that we all get stuck in, and they're reminded of their own divinity. And it's the most healing way we can ever help ourselves or anyone else is to be reminded of our own divinity. And where do you believe, for you personally, where do you believe that that divine impulse comes from? These In this book, we go to the place again and again where I say, I can't, I can't, I can't. Oh, wait, look, I can, right? <laughs> I can't go on, I can't go on. Yes, oh, look what I just did. Where do you believe that that divine inspiration or that divine help, which is truly always there in every breath, where does it come from? What is the source of that? Well, we call it many things. We call it God, divinity, uh, higher self, the highest realms. There are many different names for it, but it is love. It is the source energy of all love. And I don't like putting a certain name to it because I feel like it is nameless or we can even say Om, but we feel it. We come from that essence of love, of light, of energy, and we carry that. We are made of that. And yes, we dress it up with personalities and and all sorts of other things, but again, that's on purpose because we're all here to evolve and help each other evolve. So we drop into this dense realm and and have this certain plan of destiny, but we also have our free will. And at every turning point, we're trying to remember, wait a minute, what's inside me? What's beyond the personality? What's beyond the pain? Ah, my love, my light, my higher consciousness. And being able to find that again and again is what makes our life good. And it's what moves us forward. Mm. And you draw that distinction. You carefully draw that distinction between religion and spirituality, that connection with that love, capital L, or source, or the divine. One of the things that really stood out to me as I was reading the book is you said something like, when people are deceived by religion, they feel they have been deceived by God, and so they step away from everything. Can you speak into that a little? Because there's so much pain just in that sentence. You know, I... It's really, I love working with grieving people. I can't tell you how powerful these workshops are. And one thing I've really learned is that when I hear from on a Friday night of the workshop and everyone tells their story of loss, you know, what I am hearing is that the question on all of their minds, no matter whether they've just lost a five-year-old child or they've just lost their 40-year spouse or they've just lost a parent, their question is, where are they? Where did they go? Where am I going to go when I cross over? Who am I and why am I here? And they all tell me again and again, you know, I might be Catholic, I might be Buddhist even, I might be all these different religions, but they are not answering my questions. They're not giving me what I need to know. It's not fully resonating with me. And then if they've been turned off by religion because they know in their heart that God is love, God is not a punishing God, and they feel that according to the belief system in their religion, they should be condemned to hell, which so many people heard growing up and then walked away from that religion and then felt lost, like, well, then I can't believe in God because that's a punishing God. When grief happens, 
Grief is the great awakening, the chance to re-address that question and have your own direct experience of connecting to something beyond the physical and instantly feeling that love, that just all-consuming love that comes from beyond when we reach out with love. If we reach out with fear, we block it. If we reach out with love, it fills us. Mm. And I should say this is you lost your husband at a, at a very young age. He was at a very young age to cancer. So you know what you're talking about. Well, you know, I had grown up Catholic and I always knew there was a God. I always knew there was something beyond the physical. I feel very blessed that I kind of always knew that just from, you know, noticing things in life and, and being intuitive from the time I was a child, just sort of sensing spirits. And, and so I'm very blessed that I had that. And yet in my twenties, as many people do, you know, I, I left religion for many good reasons, and I launched out on my own life, and uh, I became a mountain climber, mountaineering instructor for Outward Bound, and believed that it was all about conquering our challenges and overcoming our obstacles, and I had really sort of walked away from my own sort of really inner spiritual truth, and I'd sort of put it aside to survive and figure out my life. And I met this tall, beautiful, strong mountain climbing man named Paul Frederick, and we were convinced that we were going to have this wonderful life with family and children. And, uh, you know, very quickly he was diagnosed with colon cancer, and he died uh, a, a death of terrible suffering. And for a whole year he suffered terribly, and I took care of him. I was 29. He was 34. And... At the end of that year, I was so angry at God. I was so angry at whatever universe I lived in where good people would suffer. And when he crossed over, he revealed his soul, his spirit to me, and I saw the light of that, and I understood that he continued on. But it didn't answer my question of why is there suffering here? Why do these good, loving souls suffer? Why does anyone suffer? And I think if you've ever lost a loved one to cancer, that is the thing that makes people so angry at the world, so angry at God. And that question, you know, just pushed me out into an intense spiritual seeking time of my life where I needed to dip my toe into every religious tradition from uh, Unity Church to Course in Miracles to Buddhism to Hinduism to metaphysics, to everything, so that I could say, now, here's the piece that resonates as true for me, and here's what I feel feels exactly resonant. And that was this idea of soul agreements and uh, a destined path, and that I had a soul agreement with Paul, and our agreement was made before the lifetime, and it said hey, for his reasons that have nothing to do with me, really, he is choosing to go out in a way that is suffering in the physical body because he believes that that will burn up some negative patterns he hasn't been able to break in other lifetimes. 
and you, Sue, will go through it with him because it will force you to embrace your spiritual knowledge, your spiritual wisdom, and someday be able to turn around and help others with that. And that's what I know to be true was our soul agreement. Why do you feel we might choose as we are incarnating and we're kind of planning out, we get our course map and we're planning what we're going to do. <laughs> Why would we, are there other ways to burn off that negative karma? Must absolutely, we absolutely, absolutely. And you know, that's a really important part of the conversation. I think we have to withhold our judgment of physical suffering because the way it looks here on earth is not the way it looks in our divine selves, from our higher self. And some souls, and all the best people I know in this lifetime, the best people I've known except for my current family, which I'm very blessed to have, instead, when I look at the life of my father, who was practically a priest all during his life, he was such a good, holy man, and, you know, my best girlfriend, Chrissy, who died a few years after Paul, and other friends of mine... They were the most loving, beautiful souls, wise old souls, and they all died a, a death of terrible physical suffering. And one has to ask oneself, is, is there a higher purpose here? And the great benefit of trusting your intuition is when the souls come back, as Paul has, as Chrissy has, as even my dad has, and say, I didn't have to choose that path, but it accelerated my growth so much. I am pure love and bliss and connection to divinity. I am no longer hindered by fear, anger, uh, blame, all the things that held me back before. And that's why they chose it. Now, do we have to choose suffering? No, 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 we don't. But I think often we don't grow until something hurts us. And unfortunately, <laughs> that seems to be the pattern for humans, that as long as things feel easy and fun, we're not evolving. And once they're painful, we are putting our attention on those bigger questions. Who are we? Why are we here? Where do we go when we die? Mm. And if I'm understanding Part of the kind of the central idea of the divine lens is that these things, suffering and death, our grief, our pain, unexpected change or loss, instead of being a punishment, can be seen as a gift that opens us more, that takes us deeper. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, when Paul crossed over, he was nothing but love and light and just God was shining through him in every cell of his body. And I can also say that of my father and um, Chrissy. I, I didn't get to be with her at the end, but this is what her mother has also told me. And what I believe is that there's a different, you know, Paul has come back to me even as recently as a year ago. He came back and said, um, he came back in one of those dreams where you know it's not a dream, you are connecting to another realm. And he lifted up his shirt and showed me his belly. And when he was alive, he had had colon cancer. So he had all sorts of scars up and down his stomach from surgery. And he lifted up his shirt in the dream and he showed me this beautiful, translucent, unscarred skin. And he said, you have to remember always that suffering is not real. And he just kept saying that and he made me take my hand and touch him, and it was like this hot light. It was just 
this radiant burning of love is the only word I can say. And he said, physical suffering is not real when we see it from here. And he was in the higher realm showing it to me. And, you know, I constantly have to remind myself that here, that the soul is having a different experience when that is happening to the body. And that often the soul has already released itself from the body when the worst of that suffering is going on. And I'm reminded of my father uh, coming back to show me that he was okay the instant he left his body. Um, my father had lung cancer, and he, you know, as anyone will tell you, it's a horrible way to die, and the person really, really suffers to even be able to breathe near the end. And even though I'd already been with Paul and, and understood this concept, watching my loving father go through it was so very, very painful, and I kept praying and talking to his spirit, saying, you're free to go, Dad. You know, you don't have to stay in this body. And and still he lingered. And one day I went home and uh, went. I had what well, didn't go home. I brought the kids home that I was trying to take care of our next our, our next generation of kids. It was my day to babysit while Dad was in the hospital. And as soon as I got him down for a nap, I sat down to meditate, and I closed my eyes and started doing mantra. And my father arrived right in front of me looking about 30 years younger and happy and healthy and like his old joking funny goofy silly laughing self and he was so vivid in front of me that I first I was like dad hey what are you doing here and then I was like dad and I realized oh my gosh dad has left his body he's crossed over and I picked up the phone and called the hospital room and my brother Jim answered, and I said, Dad just appeared in front of me. And he said, well, right now he's having a heart attack, and their nurses are doing CPR, and it's terrible chaos in here, and it's horrible. And I said, trust me, he's not in that body. He came to show me right away that he was free. Wow. So when we're looking through the divine lens, we can see the gift or see the higher perspective. I know we've only just got about three minutes or so before we go to break, but could we start to look at what is, we're not usually looking through the divine lens, are we? What is it that we're looking through most of the rest of the time? <laughs> well, I think everyone will agree that we're all sort of stuck in the ego lens view down here and that that's okay. I mean, to be human, to drop into these dense realms, we have to have an ego or we would simply not be able to function in this dense, heavy energy that we have here on Earth. So we all agreed that when we would drop in, we would have to have this other part of ourselves, our ego self, to survive, and that that was part of the game, and that it would also become part of the lesson, because we'd have to learn to keep stepping out of that ego view and back into our soul's view, which is what I call the divine lens. And so we'd have a lifetime of vacillating between the ego lens that says, I'm a flawed physical being in a flawed physical world and this is a tragic place and terrible things are happening and I'm not good enough and blah, 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 blah. That's the ego lens at work. Meanwhile, we also have our soul whispering, our divinity, our divine lens, and it says, for all of us, it's always saying, wait a minute, you're a divine being who came here on purpose like everyone else. 
you agreed to remember this while you're here and remember that you carry great gifts that you brought to use as your great work and that everything in here in this universe is working in your favor no matter how it looks. And you are divinely unstoppable when you remember this. That's the other voice that we don't listen to nearly enough. We are all addicted to that ego lens. And what has caused it is our left brain logic approach, which you can see on the news or in the political scene if you happen to be watching that. It's all about the left brain logic, ego, and it is really reaching a pinnacle in this election that's just making people crazy. And what I believe is at work is that we are all getting so fed up with that viewpoint that we're finally going to go, enough, I need to see it another way. And we'll start meditating, quieting the mind, and listening to our soul's wisdom and choosing to view it in a different way. There's a very special kind of suffering that comes with being in the ego lens, not the kind of suffering that that Paul was telling you that, that wasn't real, but there's a very real kind of special dark, painful suffering that comes when we are rolling around in that ego lens. And that to me is part of what I see in the current, uh, what I see on CNN. It's, it's a, it's painful to see the, the, all the cracks and the ways that the darkness comes in. But I agree with you that the darkness can never overpower the light. Light always wins. Mm. Now, you know, I, uh, I want people to remember Karen not to be upset with themselves if they find themselves pulled into the ego lens. I mean, that's absolutely fine. We're human beings. The minute we can live 24-7 through our divine lens, we're done with the lifetime. We're we're back on the other side. (laughs) That's very true. And as we go into the break here, um, when we come back after this short break, I want to ask you more about moving between the ego lens and the divine lens. You've got a great exercise in the book about some questions to help you determine what lens you're using at any particular time. And I love that. You're listening to Out of the Fog. My guest is Sue Frederick. Her new book is Your Divine Lens, suefrederick.com. And we'll be right back. After this, do you get tired of styling your hair every day? And do you want a good hairstyle every day? Hi, I'm Sarah Schuster. I went on a website called inventnow.org, and after that, I decided to invent something too. Something called the InstaDo. Just imagine you just put it over your head like a helmet does, and you pick your hairstyle with the buttons on the side, and you can have instant hairstyle in seconds. People like it. People like Jeff Bart. I like it. And people like Kenneth. It's this helmet thing, and it fits over your head, and it's great. Thank you, Kenneth. You should go to inventnow.org, and it could help you come up with your own invention. After all, look at me on the radio now. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. Hey, Larry, mind if I sit down? Nope. This coffee tastes like uh, coffee. So what's going on? Not much. What's new? Not much. Okay, but can you please put the newspaper down while you say not much? What newspaper? This newspaper. Oh, dude, what happened to your face? 
I see one, two, Ow. three, four, five, six. Ow. Dude, what is Ow. this? Eleven pieces of toilet paper stuck to your face? I'm shaving in the dark to save energy. I'm helping the environment. That's a dangerous way to help the environment. Well, sometimes you have to sacrifice yourself for the greater good. Dude, there's an easier and safer way to help the environment without sacrificing yourself. Go green, go public. Take public transportation. It's good for the environment and you won't have to live behind a newspaper. Wow. But for now, put the newspaper back up. A message from the public transportation systems across the country. To learn more, visit publictransportation.org. These days, many Americans are at risk of foreclosure and losing their homes. Fortunately, help is available. Making Home Affordable is a free program from the U.S. government that has already helped over a million struggling homeowners, and we want to help you. I'm home. I'm home. And I love it. I'm home. I'm home. Find out now what your options are. Go to makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE. The sooner you act, the better chance we can help you. I'm home. I'm home. Where I be. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, and the Ad Council. And now back to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager on Empower Radio. EmpowerRadio.com. Welcome back to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager, and I'm talking with Sue Frederick. Her new book is Your Divine Lens The Secret to Finding Purpose, Healing Grief, and living in alignment with your soul. You can find out more about Sue and her work at suefrederick.com. And of course, I invite you to head over to karenhager.com. That's a great place to find out about who's coming up next on the program, to find out about classes and events, how you can work privately with me. There's a bunch more there. And I love your questions, your comments, your feedback about what you're hearing today. Have you ever gotten to a point in your life where you realized, where you felt deeply that divine hand, that love, that connection with source that lifted you up and helped you move forward? Have you ever gotten to the place where you were able to see your suffering as a gift to help you transform your life? You can always reach me through email, karen at karenhager.com. Sue, before the break, we were starting to talk a little bit about the ego lens, about the thing that we're in most of the time when we're not using the divine lens. (laughs) And you've got a great exercise in the book for sort of assessing what lens you're using. And I wonder if you can share a little bit of that with us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people will ask me that question and they'll say, well, you know, I'm a pretty spiritual person. Aren't I always then using the divine lens? And so... I feel like we have to look at it in a very practical way because we feel viscerally, emotionally, physically heavier, darker, more depressed, lower energy when we're in the ego lens. So, for example, how do I feel in my body today and right this moment? If your answer is heavy, tired, and sluggish, well, in a way, you've been pulled down into that more mundane ego lens. And if your answer is, I feel energized, I feel alive, I feel open, 
That means you're accessing your soul's wisdom, your divinity. It's pretty simple to know, especially you can say, am I feeling love and compassion towards anyone today, including myself? And if the answer is, well, not really, I'm kind of annoyed at the world, my goodness, look at the politics, (laughs) then you're in your ego lens, you're seeing, you know, the flaws and the imperfections of our physical world, and you're focused on that. And instead, if you say, I do feel compassion towards everyone, including myself, you're now hooked into your divine lens because your soul is helping you remember that we're all divine beings who came here to evolve and help each other evolve and that anyone who's not acting in an enlightened way, we have to remember that they are acting as enlightened as they are possibly capable of being and that if you're seeing a different way, it means you're one of the more awakened conscious people and it's your opportunity to be the healer, the enlightened one, the teacher, rather than being depressed or condemning the world. There is so much anger, just vitriolic, deeply felt rage about at the moment due to the political situation, but also because there are many other things I think going on in the world that with our focus on the political situation, we're just, it's like they're not happening. And I think people are very angry, very on edge. The energy is really funky. Mm -hmm. That anger you talk about in the book a little bit as a kind of a, like a, like a a side effect of being in the ego lens of a kind of a twist. Can you say a little bit about ways to help yourself calm those angry feelings not that I would ever personally be angry because of course I'm way above all that (laughs) but someone who might feel anger someone not as evolved as me what are some ways we can first of all you bring up a good point we all are going to feel angry at times if we're in a human body in the physical world it's impossible not to and anyone who says oh I'm never angry it just means they're stuffing it in some other way inside themselves and it's going to (laughs) come out in a different way because the ego lens is part of life here. So yes, if you happen to catch five minutes of a news broadcast, you're going to feel angry probably. And there is an intense anger right now. But what I remember from my divine lens illumination dream and what I can try to put into words is that everything is speeding up right now. Consciousness is much more uh, higher frequency, higher vibration than ever before. And what's that? what that's doing is bringing anything that has been hidden beneath the surface out into the open, into the light, so that we have the possibility of enlightening it, of healing it. And when things live below the surface in the darkness, they cannot be healed because they have not been revealed. So yes, right now we are looking at so much ugliness. We are looking at the dark side of humanity, everything from the way women have been treated about abuse, about uh, rape, about all of those issues to, you know, the way that, uh, I mean, I don't even want to go on with it, but I just want to say all of that is coming to the surface right now in a way that it never has before. It is now part of our national daily conversation, and I believe that that is giving us a chance now to bring these things into enlightenment, into healing, and that 10 years from now when the world looks back at this, they're going to say, 
oh, do you remember that terrible time when all of those things became came to the surface and look how the world has changed and moved in a better direction since then. I think this will be looked at as a time of great transformation someday, maybe not now. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's uh, I agree a thousand percent with what you're saying about everything speeding up and about the things that were in the darkness being brought into the light. It's not always pretty when that happens, and we're moving fast through a time when everything is coming out. All the skeletons are coming out of the closet. Everything is unveiled. Everything. Here it all comes. And one of the one of the things I like about the principles that you teach in your divine lens is that these are tools that we can use. It's all coming at us, baby, but you can stay steady. There are tools to keep yourself centered. There are tools to keep yourself a little bit above the rush and the push and the wallowing and the biting right. and the, all that. That There are tools in here that you can use to stay centered. And that feels really important. No matter what you see on TV, whether you leave it on or turn it off, right. You can stay so centered. Here's a quick little tool because this one I always tell people is so easy and it's so effective and you can use it right now. You just take a deep breath, you inhale, oh, you exhale, and then put a sincere request out. You can say it out loud. Please, divine guides, help me to see this moment through my soul's wisdom. And you can do that whether you're standing in a long line at the post office and you're frustrated about how long it's taking, whether you're driving in traffic and you can't believe what an idiot that person is in front of you, or whether someone has just crossed over and broken your heart through death and grief. If you can just take that breath for a minute and say, please God or please divine guides, please help me see this through my soul's wisdom, pull me out of the ego view, help me see it from the light. Now, if you have called out sincerely and requested that, you're going to start to even feel differently in your body, and you're going to start to feel this calmness. And from there, if you continue working with that, you'll begin to feel a pulling away from the crazy monkey mind thoughts of anxiety and fear and getting much more open-hearted feeling, which is where we connect to our divinity through love, through heart. And then you can say, now, Divine Guides, help me to open my heart and feel the love pouring through me from Divine Source, and then pour that love out to everyone around me. And if we open the heart that way and send that love through us, we are now instantly pulled out of the mucky muck. Mm. That's beautiful. And I, as I think about and am trying to kind of rise above all the, all the muck, because that really is there, you have some interesting things to say about addiction. As I read what you've written about addiction, and you're writing about addiction as a kind of a, a, another twist, a side effect of that ego mm-hmm. lens, but I also feel like we get addicted to our ego lens. We get it right. We get addicted to how it feels to be in it, even though it isn't good. And so can you say a little bit about addiction, about that twist? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things. I I work with a lot of parents who've lost children who, you know, lost them through addiction, through overdose. And those parents come to me going, you know, gosh, why was my, my son so lost, so troubled, et cetera. And when I tap into those departed spirits and when I teach the parents to be able to do that, what we all come away feeling and knowing 
is that that was a highly evolved, very sensitive, beautiful soul who looked around at this physical world and saw through the ego lens what a terrible pain, a lot of pain there is here, and, and they saw how everyone was struggling, and they, they just they needed to find a, their spiritual way of viewing it, their divine lens, so to speak. And what was handed to them easily was access to drugs or alcohol or sort of these tools that people get handed and suddenly for a brief instant they're pulled out of the ego lens. And when we first might do a drug or have a drink, we might for a moment feel like, ah, this life isn't so bad. There's something else good going on here and I can kind of tap into that through a substance but as we all know, that doesn't work very long. That might work for a couple of days, and then we're headed down the dark trail of destruction of our energy and destruction of our body, and then it becomes a very hard energy to turn that around. So that is addressing that idea of addiction as being really a spiritual seeking, seeking that divine lens view. And how can we help our people who are struggling with addiction to get that different view of life to tap into that can help them, you know, turn turn the whole pattern around. And it's a long process. I'm not saying it's an easy cure, but it, it does really come from the pain of seeing life through the ego lens when you're a highly evolved soul and you want to know, you want to remember that divinity that you once experienced on the other side. And I know that one of the things that you teach in the book, you're talking about this in, in relation to addiction, but you also mention this mantra in other places in the book, is using the mantra Om Namah Shivaya as, yeah. a, as a tool to help um, shift the lens or open the way or bring the healing. Absolutely. It's such an important thing. I teach all my clients and all my students in the workshops. I teach them to meditate using mantra. And I'm a big fan. I've, I've, like I said before, I've tried every kind of spiritual path there is. And what I believe is that the Hindus and the Buddhists thousands of years ago, when, when they created the Sanskrit language, it was the, it was probably the most high-frequency language ever created on earth. It's really the sound of God on the other side that comes through those words, Om Namah Shivaya. And if we can sit and close our eyes and repeat that sound, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, and let it just marinate inside of us, it instantly starts raising our vibration and then, of course, our monkey mind is going to jump in and say, oh, but think about this, or you should be mad about that, or, or you're not good enough, or all those great thoughts that come from the monkey mind. But now you've got this little mantra. You can notice those thoughts and go, ah, oh, look at that crazy mind, back to the mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya. And at the end of 20 minutes of just refocusing back to that sacred sound, you feel that crazy mind settling down. If everyone could do that, seriously do it 20 minutes a day at least, it would have this complete consciousness healing effect on our planet. And it's so funny because I work with clients every day and I say, do you meditate every day? And I would say 80% of them say, I've tried, but I can't do it. And I always tell them and say, you know, 
That's like saying I've tried to brush my teeth, but I really can't do it, so I don't do it anymore. Because I've told, I tell people, you know, meditating is like, it's like filling up your fuel tank every day. It's like saying, hey, I have to do three things when I wake up in the morning, brush my teeth, go to the bathroom, and meditate 20 or 10 or 20 minutes with mantra, and then I'm good to go. Because now I'm connected to source. I'm remembering that I'm more than a physical being, and I can go about my day functioning with a memory that, yes, this morning I did have that moment of connecting to something calming and loving and divine, and now I can kind of remember it and go back to that when I need to. I know that you're passionate as I am about daily spiritual practice and how important that is as, the, as a, a foundation, as a support for then living our lives in a in a way that brings growth and healing and change. And something that I've been hearing people say to me is that when we really get down to why aren't you praying or meditating, why aren't you carving out a little bit of sacred space, I think some of this may have to do with the addiction that we have to being in the ego and the right. knowledge that when we begin these practices, and I mean you mean you begin for 30 seconds, something changes and I think a part of us knows that and might resist it a little bit because you can't do this yeah. work without being changed. I completely agree with you. It's a resistance to wanting to feel something other than what we're comfortable with and you know, I don't believe that we're born addicted to the ego lens. It happens as we grow up in this world and we're even taught a certain thing from our family of origin. For example, my family of origin, a bunch of Irish Nolans, they definitely were addicted to anger. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I learned that, that that was a comfortable emotion in our house growing up. And so I had to reach a place in my life, too, where it's still a struggle where I realized, oh, look at that. My ego instantly wants to go to anger about that. Ah, go back to do a few minutes of mantra. You know, like I, in my kitchen, everywhere in my house, I have mala beads because I feel like if suddenly I'm feeling like I've kind of lost my connection, I'm really upset about something, even while I'm cooking dinner, I can just pick up my mala and do some mantra. And it just starts opening my heart, quieting my mind, reminding me of that higher energy. And that becomes our addiction then. And you want to be able to switch the addiction from that, that horrible anger stuff that goes on here that we're so comfortable with to that beautiful energy of love, of peace, of light that we can instantly shift into and become addicted to that. So the other thing I wanted to say about it is, good thing about our politics and our world right now is people are going to start overdosing on anger. <laughs> They're going to finally say, I was so angry it nearly killed me, and now I've got to find another way to look at this. And when you look at people who have heart attacks and heart illness, heart disease, it's often where they say to you afterwards, they say, I realized that my heart was so filled with anger and with grief and pain and that having this health crisis made me begin to sort of find, want to find a different way to look at life and to live. And that's a spiritual awakening moment. That's us shifting from ego lens to divine lens. And I know that you believe, I'm thinking of the heart attack, and I'm thinking of things in my own personal story where I have had times where I felt like 
I could have left had I chose, but I chose to stay here. And I right. know from talking to you before that you believe that we have, we come in with some sort of predetermined exit points. Mm-hmm. Can you yeah. say if, if, if everything is in divine time and in divine order, it would seem to me like we wouldn't have choice about those exit points. We'd have to take the one that went with our off ramp that went with the right. course manual that we planned. Yeah. Well, you know, from working with grieving clients, I believe this more than ever. I can't even explain how I just wish everyone in the world could come to one of these grief workshops and watch this process with people. But all of them talk about this idea that after their loved one departed, they looked back and began to realize all of these weird things that had happened that make them know that their loved one knew on a soul level, not on a conscious level, that this was their exit time. Mm. And I, if I have a moment, I'd love to give you one of my most recent examples that really resonates with me. Yes. I have a client who showed up in one of my grief workshops, and she, her husband had been a cyclist here in Boulder. I live in Boulder, Colorado. It's a beautiful place. Everyone bikes and cycles and hikes everywhere. Um, He would go on his daily hour-long rides, and and she came to our workshop a week after he had been hit by a drunk driver and died instantly on his hour-long bike ride. And she told us this story And of course, you know, it was all part of the meditations we did and the journal writing and the connecting to the other side. But what she told us was, you know, the day he died, we woke up that morning and he was in such a good mood and he took me out for breakfast. He knew I loved to go out to breakfast. And while we were out, we passed by my favorite um, uh, gluten, I think she said gluten-free bakery because they didn't eat gluten, you know, and... um, And she said, you know, he never wanted to eat sweets, but he turned into the parking lot and said, we're buying a cake today. And then he took her and they bought a bottle of champagne. And she was like, what's up with you? This is not our birthday or anything. And he said, I don't know. I just feel like celebrating you, celebrating our love. It's a beautiful day and I love you. And and he took her home and they had this magical day and he took her home and they um, had a piece of the cake and uh, and he said, all right, when I come home tonight, we'll toast our champagne and um, it's going to be, it's been a great day with you. Mm. And he took off on his normal ride, didn't vary from his usual thing. And uh, a drunk driver unexpectedly turned left right into him. He had no warning, killed him instantly. Mm. And my client believes that his soul knew this was his exit day and that all he could know was that he needed to tell her how much he loved her and give her this beautiful memory of his love before he left his lifetime. And she came home from the hospital, the devastating news of his death, and found the two glasses, still makes me almost cry, found the two glasses of champagne sitting on the table with the beautiful cake, and she felt his presence going, all is well. I just want you to always know I'm with you. And I just thought that's one of the most pure, beautiful stories I've ever heard about, 
And by the way, she was a cynical person who did not believe in anything beyond the physical until the day her husband crossed over and she had these experiences. Wow. Now, I know we're right up against the top of the hour, and I'd love for you, Sue, can you say a little bit? I know that you've got some teaching appearances coming up. You work with people privately. Tell people where your website is. Do all that promo stuff. <laughs> so I would love to do a session with any of you who are facing a career transition, grief and loss, or just want to learn to look at your life in a different way. You can sign up for a session on my website, suefrederick.com. You can get my books. All of them are on Amazon, Your Divine Lens, Bridges to Heaven, I See Your Dream Job. And you can come to my workshops. I'm teaching the Divine Lens Workshop in New York City at the New York Open Center on Sunday, November 3rd. I would love to see you there. I would love to help you look at your life in a different way and teach you these tools that we're talking about. I'm also teaching at Kripalu Institute, um, at, um, Kripalu Retreat Center in Massachusetts again in April. And I have many other events listed on my website, suefrederick.com. I would love to help you in your journey. That's wonderful. What do you want us to most get from reading this book and from listening to what you've shared? What, what do you most want the listeners to take away? That no matter how dark you might feel today, how much pain you might be in, how much anger you might feel, your soul is whispering to you saying, wake up, remember, you're a divine being who came here on purpose. This is all for your highest good, and you are unstoppable when you tap into your divine power. That is whispering inside of us every moment. All we have to do is quiet that ego mind to hear it. And that's for every single one of us, not the ones who are happy or the ones who are only in grief or the ones who are only, right? It's for every single one of us. That voice, that light, that layer of awareness, that little shift is available to every single one of us at any moment, including right now. Absolutely. Wonderful. Sue, will there be more books because I'm excited now and hopeful. Well, you know, I've written a spiritual memoir, and I think it's the best book I've written. I, I always think that of the newest book. Um, and I, it is about my own process of spiritual awakening. And um, I may self-publish it, or I may find a publisher. I'm not sure yet. But that one hopefully will be coming out in uh, 2017. And if, again, if you go to my website, suefrederick.com, you will see uh, all of my books. Oh, fantastic. Sue, thank you so much for being on the show. What great fun to talk with you. Thank Karen, you. Karen, you're so awesome. Thank <laughs> you so much. <laughs> thank you, Sue, very much. That's Sue Frederick. Her new book is Your Divine Lens, The Secret to Finding Purpose, Healing Grief, and living in alignment with your soul. You can find out more about Sue and her work at suefrederick.com. She'll be teaching at the New York Open Center in uh, on November 13th. There are other events and appearances at suefrederick.com. I just feel guided to say that no matter what is happening in your life, no matter how dark it might seem, please remember that even in the darkest night, there's that little spark 
There is that tiny pinpoint of light that with your breath and your intention and your awareness, with your focus on that light, you can bring it to life. You can make it bigger and bigger and bigger until it fills your vision, until it's all that you can see. And if you believe, as I do, that when we come together in collective intention that we really can change the world, I invite you to check out openpeacefulheart.com. That's a monthly group meditation, a free call where people from all over the world gather to share that collective intention for peace, to breathe on that little ember of joy and connection to try to change the world. You can also find out more about me and all the stuff I'm up to because I'm always doing something at karenhager.com. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world, and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. Peace.